What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Movie Magic. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? <laughs> Not too much. We've got some great movies to talk about this week, though. I just I can't believe we've done 156 episodes of this. I mean, there have been that many movies to talk about this whole time, right? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Episode 156 is a lot. Uh, but, you know, the good thing is they keep producing content. They keep putting movies out there. So I think we'll be doing this for quite a long time to come. Before we get into our main topic this week, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in there, check out our Discord. It's the best place to be to chat with us and talk about the movies you're watching. We love to hear everything that people are into, different genres. We've got channels for all sorts of stuff over there. So definitely check that out. Link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon. Check out all the different perks and stuff over there. Uh, the link to that is also in the episode description. All right, on to our weekly watch along. Ben, what are you watching this week? I've got a good one this week. It actually kind of reminds me of our main topic, but uh, I, I kind of wanted to watch this one anyway. Uh, this one's Enter Galactic. Uh, this is the Kid Cudi movie. It's interesting. Kid Cudi, pretty uh, pretty famous rapper at this point. Uh, kind of a hybrid album movie project. Really interesting stuff. Um it's kind of like a musical rom-com animated, uh, and the animation style is pretty distinct. It's not done by the same team that made our uh, our movie we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode, but uh, it actually looks pretty similar. So th- this came out in, a looks like, a 2022 on Netflix. It's still available there. You can still go watch it. It's free to see there uh, if, you, if you get Netflix. So I, I recommend this one. It's, uh, it's funny. It's pointed. It's got a nice overall romantic story that... It kind of wraps up in a nice way. Uh, not all romances do. And I'm a fan of the ones that don't. One of my favorite movies in this genre is Once. And that one, man, brutal ending. But uh, realistic. And this one's realistic too, but it is a feel-good movie. So uh, Ender Galactic, if you're a fan of, of these kind of cool, stylized, uh, very visually distinct projects, especially one with some some uh, pretty cool singular talent behind it, in this case, Kid Cudi, uh, I recommend it. It's got some pretty famous other uh, voice actors in there too. Jane Smith's in there, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Ty Dolla Sign, Vanessa Hudgens, I think, uh, and some other ones in there too. Macaulay Culkin makes an appearance (laughs) at one point. So uh, definitely check this one out if you're in the mood for a cool kind of trippy romance that uh, really captures the heart of New York City. Oh, that's awesome. This one hasn't come across my my purview, so I may add this to the list. My movie this week is not one that I actually watched this week, but longtime listeners will know that I am a massive Christopher Nolan fan, not only a massive Christopher Nolan fan, but a, a, a massive, massive Dark Knight fan. And you may be surprised to know this, Ben, this might make you feel old. It certainly made me feel old. But the uh, Batman Begins, the first of the Nolan trilogy of Batman films, came out 18 years ago last week. Jeez. Yeah. That can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Which also means that this is the 15th anniversary of the dark Knight. but mm. yeah. Wild. I just felt really old. Uh, if you haven't seen Batman begins a, what are you doing? Stop listening to the show right now and go watch <laughs> it and then come back and finish the show. We did an episode on that. Didn't we? Like that was one of our first. Yeah. Films. It was pretty early on, but, but I'm saying like, if you haven't seen the show and you're maybe you're new to this show, if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. Check out that episode and then come back and finish this episode. All right. On to wraps and cuts. This is our Rose and Thorn style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, what are you, what, what are your wraps and what are your cuts? I got some good wraps this week. I actually wrapped up my school year. So school year over. Uh, everyone knows I'm a teacher. It's nice to, uh, to be in summer mode. Finally, uh, I had my last day today. Um, had to go in, close up shop, clean the room, that type of thing. Just kind of hung out <laughs> for a good chunk of the day. But now I've got 
no, no work for two months ish. And I say that, but really there's going to be a lot of work involved. Teachers don't really have a vacation. Um, I've got a lot of things to do to prep for next year, but uh, that's nice. So, uh, that, that'll be good to relax for once. Got to f- fix my sleep schedule and all that. Uh, my cuts this week, just the exhaustion of the end of the year, the last like two days of school are some of the hardest. Really? Um, but honestly, I got some nice goodbyes from students, people saying that, uh, that I was their favorite teacher and that, that always really makes my day. So, uh, overall the, the, uh, the wraps outweigh the cuts on this one. How about you? Yeah, same. Uh, actually my wraps outweigh my cuts as well. All of my like major travel is done for a little while, which is nice. Cause I had, you know, uh, back-to-back weeks or a week between, but you know, really pretty close to, to back-to-back weeks of, of travel, um, kind of all over the country. So glad to be home. I am doing a short trip this weekend to visit my dad for father's day, but that I won't really count as much travel. Uh, it'll be nice to see the family. I haven't seen them in a while. Um, otherwise gym stuff's been going well. Uh, if you've been a listener for a long time, you maybe have heard me mention that I've been in the gym for a while now. Um, things are going well. I changed my routine this week, so I'm excited to kind of see at least that that keeps me interested. You know, I get bored really easily, so I have to change things up pretty regularly. Um, every eight mm-hmm. to 10 weeks or so, um, to stay interested in it. But, um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good and uh, the weather's nice. I'm, I'm excited for summer. So cuts, honestly, I couldn't really think of one. Maybe work's been pretty busy, but like, that's not the worst thing in the world. And I'm not overwhelmingly stressed or anything like that. So yeah, don't have any particular cuts to to share this week. I did think of one more cut. I realized that I think I'm going to be away on a trip for the Barbie Oppenheimer double feature. Talking about Chris Nolan yeah. reminded me <laughs> that uh, I was fully planning on seeing both of those in the same day. Come on, we're a movie podcast. Like I've got yeah, to go pull the most <laughs> memeable. I mean, we're definitely going to have to have an episode on that, right? Uh, I think I will see them in the opposite order, though. I think I want to see Oppenheimer first. Uh, get all the explosions and and grim reality out of the way uh, and then finish with Barbie, which looks to be some sort of surrealist commentary on capitalism and religion. I'm not entirely sure what's going on there, but there's a lot happening for a uh, a two hour uh, toy commercial, right? Yeah. Also, um, so I was at trivia this week and one of the questions had to do with that movie and, uh, Apparently mm-hmm. in the production of the film, which we can talk about more of this when we get to the actual episode for this, for this movie, but, um, mm-hmm. they like ran, I, I don't know if it was globally or what the actual like criteria was or whatever, but they ran out of paint. Like they used up the world supply of pink paint. Oh, <laughs> huh. <laughs> yeah. How about that? I mean, there's a lot of pink sure in that is. movie, so I, I believe it. All right, let's get down to our main topic this week. This week, we are talking about Across the Spider-Verse. Ben and I have both been very excited for this movie for a long time. It's finally out. We finally got to see it, and we're going to go through it. We're going to talk through the story as per usual. We'll talk through how it kind of compares to the original, and then we'll go through breaking down different elements of the movie, visuals, music. Of course, there are tons of references in this film, so we'll go through a bunch of those as well. We're going to start off with a spoiler-free discussion, so if if you haven't seen the film... Definitely listen to that, and then we'll be very clear about when we're getting into spoilers, and pretty much from the rest of the show on will be spoiler territory. So listen up to that point if you haven't seen it, and then come back and finish once you've watched the film, and um, then we'll wrap it up. So Ben, let's just jump in. Why don't we do our spoiler-free discussion, and then uh, we'll dive into the the nitty-gritty. 
Totally. So first of all, this is the sequel to one of my all-time favorite movies, not just animated movies, not just superhero movies. I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is nearly flawless. Uh, it, it hits almost every note that I'm looking for uh, from kind of this this great story that, that represents something new all the way up to a huge climax with such satisfying payoffs, visual tricks, fantastic music, incorporation of just about every element you could want in a feature film. This one kind of cranks it all up a notch. I've, I've heard a lot of people saying that they prefer this one to the original. I actually disagree. I do prefer the original a little more, but it's for some certain reasons that I'll save for the spoiler section. Uh, I, I have the original at just a solid five out of five. Have this new one at a, at a 4.5 or something like that, like a four and a half star. Uh, it's, it's definitely good, though. How about you? What are your first impressions? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you in general. I was a little surprised. I actually, coming out of the film, I was, I don't know if disappointed was the right word because it was a fun experience. I did really enjoy the film and we're going to get into all that. But I, I think when I saw like, you know, it's got like a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and then like mm. the fan score is around 96, 98, I think. I think I might've been expecting slightly a slightly tighter film which again, I'll mm. kind of get into from story beats and some, some things like that, that kind of disappointed me. But I, again, I I'm really hesitant to use the word disappointed because it, it wasn't, I didn't feel actually disappointed, but there's something was just off. And so for those reasons, I agree. I put into the spider verse above this, but they're close. And there were some things that were really well done in this film that I think kicked it up a notch from into the spider verse. So there is some give and take there, but overall phenomenal mm. film. Music was fantastic. Visuals were fantastic. If you like the art style from the first, you're just going to love this one. Oh, man. And yeah. I've got one major complaint, which we'll get to later. But besides that, mm -hmm. otherwise, just a phenomenal film. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely the first one definitely cranked, cracked my top 10. And my mm -hmm. second, th this one probably also does. I, I would have to think about it a little bit more. But of course... You know, listener, if you're interested, you can check out both Ben and my top 10 movies list, which we update regularly on the Patreon. So um, I think the first movie set a really high bar. Did. And, you know, it's a lot of the same team. Uh, and they had a massive animation team for this, almost like three times the size of some of their animated movies. And I think that set the bar very, very high. Coming into this one, it was almost impossible to see something that that exceeded my expectations. And I think even just having our expectations met of the same level of quality, the same level of writing, the same level of humor uh, all throughout, that's that's asking an awful lot, right? I mean, this is a sequel to an animated superhero movie. How many of those like are good? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like not many of those are, are good to begin with. How many how many schlock Marvel films have come out recently <laughs> where uh, they just kind of fizzle and they, they were made out of. Uh, I don't know, just pure profit motive rather than a desire to say and, and express and represent something and even to animate something that cool. Uh, but within the first 10 minutes of this movie, I said to myself, oh, yeah, this is this is more so a feat of animation than it is a, a story follow up. I mean, it is. It is, of course. But I think what really stood out to me was how impressive this movie was, whereas the first one was. Uh, an incredible experience overall. This one impressed me in some aspects more than others. Uh, animation being one of the main ones. Yeah, I, 
So I have mixed feelings about the, the animation. I think in some ways they did. I, I agree with you in that it was far more complex animation wise, and they did a phenomenal job with it. I don't know that I liked, cause there's, there's actually, there is a style change between the two movies. The animation is not mm. exactly the same stylistically. And I think I found myself liking the former better than this one, but it's close. I mean, yeah, the, the anime, the animation team really did knock it out of the park. Now, where are you on multiverse movies? Because at this point, I mean, we've got the flash coming out like tomorrow as a recording or something like that. We've had our, our fair share. We, we reviewed everything ever all at once. Of course. I mean, just the idea of there being an alternate universe where like, I don't know, maybe in a different universe, we hold, we host like a different kind of podcast, like just where, where things go differently in another place. It's, it's worth exploring in a film. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, like, come on, this is a ridiculous concept. <laughs> what are you really going to do with this? How many movies can, how many franchises can be propped up by this? Uh, I don't know, this theoretical, this is the type of thought experiment that you hear about in like a high school physics class. And you go, wow, that's something. And then it, it burns itself out pretty quickly after that. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many more of these we got in them. This one felt like a fresh take. So, uh, but this isn't even the only Spider-Man movie to do this. No. Well, and, and it's interesting too, because you kind of, I think you run into a spoiled with choice or maybe like an analysis paralysis kind of decision paralysis sort of, sort of phenomenon, because once you've got infinite possibilities, it's like, okay, now what do we actually do with this? Because there's just too much, <laughs> yeah. too much material that you could go through. The interesting thing is with Spider-Man in particular, like, there is precedent for this storyline. Like the comics already exist for this and have for a long time. Like the spider verse has been a thing for a very mm. long time. So mm. uh, I'm not surprised to see it adapted into a film. I'm very thrilled that they decided to go this route with into the spider verse, doing it animated, doing a top notch job with it. I think if they tried to do this live action, it would have been awful. And you can kind of, you can go back and, and listen to our into the spider verse review uh for more thoughts on that in particular but i do like the approach i think it's starting to become a saturated area in film everybody's kind of doing this and of mm -hmm. course this is a sequel so i'm not going to rope this into oh they're doing more of that but yeah i think a lot of franchises are doing it and it's interesting i think it's more interesting than time travel stories because you have so much crap you have to deal with in a time travel like to make it make sense there's like a lot. And in multiverse, you kind of yeah. don't have to deal with that. Those get messy. Um, but there are good ways to handle it and bad ways to handle it. I think this film does a good job of it. Yeah. In a way, we're still seeing the cascading effects of Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, now having permeated all areas of, of, uh, of culture. Honestly, I think this film handles it in a way that shows a clear love for the content and a respect for the fans you know, in their own unique takes on like even for the from the first one, right, with Green Goblin, like incorporated in a new and exciting way, but an existing character, uh, same with um, Prowler, same with Kingpin, you know, these these characters that the people already, you know, know and care about just reincorporated in a new way. I think that's a, an interesting way to do um, this kind of multiverse idea. Take Doc Ock, right? Uh, you, you never see the twist coming. It's like, oh, she's Doc Ock. Right. Awesome. Love it. Uh, of course, light spoilers for the first one. If you haven't seen that by now, I don't know why you're still listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> seeing how some other multiverse style movies, I mean, I've seen things coming out about some of the new DC movies where they're, they're using uh, like CG models of actors that in some cases are already deceased. Yeah. I don't know. Let the dead rest, man. Like that's that, that almost shows like um, you, ever, you ever seen that meme that's like uh, 
uh, 10 hours of jingly keys. No, <laughs> because that's kind of what it, that's kind of what it feels like. It's like, Oh, look, uh, th- this movie thinks you're a baby. This movie thinks that, uh, if they dangle some jingly keys in front of you for 10 hours, uh, you know, show you like pattern matching things that you recognize, then you'll be satisfied. No, the average person wants a little more than that. And honestly, as someone who finds myself mostly gravitating towards pretty grounded movies, uh, someone who's moved away from a lot of these superhero esque films recently, uh, the fact that I adore Spider Verse and what it's trying to do so much more than any of the other ones in this genre, I don't know. It's it's one of the only ones I find even not that it's not tolerable, but it's one of the only ones I find tolerable compared to some of the other ones that are just, you know, what, what do they have to offer? Well, that's interesting. I think that says a lot too because. And, and perhaps I'm misspeaking here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, you know, we've known each other a long time. I don't recall you ever being a massive Spider-Man fan. So you're not even, it doesn't sound to me like you're really even coming at this from like, I love this movie because it's a well done take on this whole Spider-Verse thing because I love the Spider-Man comics. This is just a good film <laughs> and you're here for it, right? Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly it. Um, I would say out of the superheroes, Thor and Spider-Man have always been a couple of my favorites. When I was really little, even before I knew you, um, my grandfather used to give me Spider-Man comics okay. from, uh, from the old newspapers you would get. So I had some, some, early, uh, some early love of Spider-Man that kind of wrapped around. But So this is a quote from Lord and Miller from a recent... Uh, a recent interview about how they're managing to avoid superhero fatigue. And I think it lines up perfectly with, with our arguments here. Uh, here's a, a quote from uh, CBR.com. Lord further noted that moviegoers can't be quote sustained on Easter eggs and reveals or quote, big, crazy multiverse stakes end quote, as they only care about more important elements citing the relationship between rocket raccoon and Groot. Honestly, it, it, this, this is exactly it. People don't, People might think they care about the the number of references or the number of things they recognize, but at our core, humans are storytellers, and we like going to movies because we like seeing stories told. And it's the story that's told about relationships that ultimately is what we end up remembering. At least uh, that's how I choose to engage with movies and media. Not everyone does have to. If you like to go to the theater and just sit down and watch Jingle Keys, you know, more power to you. You're probably pretty happy. <laughs> All right, so I think that wraps up our our spoiler free discussion. We're going to dive into the actual story for the movie, all the different plot points, and then we'll dive through again, those different um, categories that I, that I mentioned before. So let's just jump into it. The beginning starts with, with Gwen and she's rocking out on the drums telling kind of Mm -hmm. a similar intro in like language to what miles does in the first film. So there's kind of like a nice nod to that, but this is where my first and really only complaint for the like major complaint for the movie comes in. Mm. And this didn't happen in every theater. I read about this. Some theaters had issues where she would like Gwen t- doing her voiceover is like inaudible over the music, the the drums oh. being played. So I was actually like, I found myself wanting subtitles in the theater because I couldn't really hear everything she was saying. Oh, I heard about this. I, I don't know if it happened by the time you saw it, but I did see a post saying that they sent out an updated mix. Yeah, no, I, in this, in this intro in particular, and there were a couple of other areas throughout the film, I genuinely just couldn't hear what people were saying, what the characters were saying. And it got really bad. It was especially yeah. bad when uh spider punk shows up because of his cockney accent. It's like hard to, it's already <laughs> hard to understand what he's saying, but then mix that with the fact that yeah. anytime there's music, you can't hear him. Uh, it was pretty bad. And he's kind of a musician. Right. No, so. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I, I remember being able to hear 
Gwen, but there were definitely parts where Spider-Punk, and there was another part when someone else was speaking. It might have been one of the more dramatic moments that I, I also found myself wishing for subtitles. I did hear this was corrected a couple days ago, that they sent out a new mix. I don't really know how that happens. Um, you know, like you'd think something would have you know, cued them to that along the way, but whatever. Uh, I actually really liked that intro, the kind of um, almost like a repeated phrase that, that Gwen was saying, what was it like, I, but I'm not, or, but I won't something like and that. And he's not the only one. And not the only one. Yeah. Um, but then referring to herself or other instances of this, like about being alone or uh, just kind of setting up some, some good dive in points for some of the movie's major themes about being on your own um, and, and, existing in a in a band actually yeah. <laughs> another uh another kind of sub cleverly named it's, the it's Mary a good James, symmetry that it ends which with. was uh really, yeah. really interesting <laughs> nice little little easter egg there um i also really appreciated yeah. it because it gave us it gave us a way to connect to the first film like it, it starts off with her really reflecting on the events of the first film and what they've done to impact her mm-hmm. psyche and like how she feels but it also gives us a good background for her and then sets up things that happen to her in the first 30 to 40 minutes of the film, like to help us mm-hmm. understand her better, which is cool. Cause like we didn't, we got like a brief intro to her uh, in, in into the spider verse, you know, like when every new Spider-Man was, was introduced, they did like a, I'm Gwen Stacy and blah, blah, you know, and they did like a little blurb, but this yeah. gave us like some real depth into her character. And I really appreciated that because we didn't really get it in the first film. And her, her universe is awesome. Just the, uh, as the as Lord and Miller described it, a mood ring yeah, universe yeah. where the visuals just represent the internal dialogue and thoughts and relationships between the characters. Um, even the the structure of shapes yep. in this universe, when going from moments of haziness to clarity, it's represented by the the visual design of the of the shapes around them. Incredible, beautiful, yeah, really well thought uh, out, fantastic, almost like a watercolor. Yeah. Now, uh, from then, we get a little back more into Miles. Uh, we see what he's up to. We see that he's fighting a villain of the week, a, a silly, goofy guy named Spot. And man, Spot's intro. I, I saw that this is actually a, a clip released for the movie. I'm so glad I didn't see it beforehand. I'm so glad my first experience seeing Spot was uh, as he's <laughs> trying to break into this. <laughs> he's like, please let me rob you, sir. Please don't make this a bad experience for me. I'm just... I'm a scientist. I'm actually pretty handsome. Like what a funny character, just a total loser. But at the same time, he's got a point. Miles did create him. Miles got all this. What did he get? His family and friends rejected him. (laughs) It's you got to feel for a little bit. it's, It's a funny, like, I don't know if I even want to call this an Easter egg or a reference, but like, if you remember into the spider verse, he's the scientist who miles threw a bagel at his face. Like hit him in the head with a bagel yeah. on his way out <laughs> yeah. of, uh, out of, uh, yeah, Max, yeah. And, uh, I just think that's hilarious. Like what an origin story. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Also the fact that throughout this movie, you see him develop his powers yeah. in the same way that we've seen other people in this universe develop their skills and powers. We see, he starts off goofy. He starts off with bread popping out of his stomach because he, he doesn't know how to control this portal technology. And really, I mean, I love the games from Portal and you can do some really wild stuff with portals when you get into the physics of it. Uh, There's some good minute physics videos on that. In fact, they actually tackled moving portals in this, which the physics of are just like conservation momentum alone is a nightmare (laughs) with moving portals. And 
you actually see Spot learn how to use it properly. Um, going from just being able to barely create one that he can control to being able to pop them into existence at whim to being able to make giant moving ones to catch multiple spider people at once and send them somewhere else uh, to now being able to straight up teleport between dimensions. It seems like Uh, going from a ridiculous quote unquote villain of the week that miles literally sticks to a wall, (laughs) like kind of hangs up tied up uh, to go to a meeting with his parents Uh, which is a whole other thing we'll get into, Uh, just to have him come back in some gorgeous line work, horrific black swirling vortex void, some of the coolest animated shots from the whole movie. Uh, How are they going to stop this guy? I mean, he he has a portal gun. He He is is a portal gun. (laughs) Yeah, GLaDOS couldn't stop him. Like, what's Spider-Man going to do? Yeah, well... Hopefully it'll be more than one Spider-Man, but yeah, it was interesting too. Cause they use, they use his abilities um, and the way that he like learns to use his abilities and develops them in some interesting ways. Like there are some cool from a cinematography perspective, like there's a scene early on right before the, the parent meeting, which we'll get to in a second mm. uh, where spot and miles are like moving down uh, one of the Brook, like Brooklyn streets, right? They're moving down a street mm-hmm. at a relatively quick pace. They end up on a building where miles can finally like tie him up and, and put an end to the fight temporarily later on when they move to, um, to, uh, Mumbatten, they, they have almost shot for shot the same scene, but spot is very, very good. And like very easily able to like manipulate oh, all, the, all that. The, the portals and stuff, his spots. So I really appreciated that they hmm. did it. It's maybe not shot for shot, but it's, it's a pretty close um, approximation of, it's, yeah, mirror, it's like a mirror you know? of the, of the first scene. That's like maybe 30 minutes or 40 minutes before that. That's cool. Yeah. Now this parent grounding scene, uh, particularly the meeting uh, with the, the uh, I guess maybe counselor from visions Academy, this kind of feels like a jumping off point for the movie where this establishes, well, what does miles want? You know, what do his parents want? What do his parents think that he wants? Uh, and we learned that he wants to leave New York. He wants to go to, was it Princeton? Princeton I think, yeah. uh, for astrophysics, my guy, good stuff. <laughs> well, and, and his, his whole focus uh, is he wants to learn how to travel dimensions because he misses his friends. He right. misses the Spider-Man that he, that he met in the first film. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't jive with his parents' plan. And his parents, they have a pretty respectable uh, worldview, but maybe not one that fits Miles's, right? Miles wants to, as he says it, spread his wings. But his parents kind of see themselves as, I think as his mom said, like that his grandparents uh, would kill to be in his position. In the middle of New York, he can do whatever he wants and he wants to leave. To them, this seems kind of like an affront to their family. Uh it's kind of a variation on the first movie where a big theme was their family doesn't run from things. Yeah. Well, and and the other part of that was uh, there was like an aspect of sacrifice to it as well that his mom was talking about where like your grandparents sacrificed Mm. a lot to get us to be in a position where we could be here and, and provide this for you. And there's maybe an aspect of as parents, it hurts because you don't want this thing that we've sacrificed so hard to give you. But I do kind of see it to your point as like a jumping, almost like, I mean, figuratively for the film, as well as for miles, like it's a jumping off point. It's almost like a springboard for him. Yeah. His parents set him up really well to be in the position he's in, but then that should enable him to be kind of catapulted into wherever and whatever he wants to be. Mm -hmm. 
And of course they have no idea what right. he actually wants to be, which is a dimension hopping Spider-Man. Right. And they, they kind of like start to realize like the counselor as he leaves, cause miles like spot gets free. Miles has to, you know, go, go fight him again. Um, the counselor's like, he's lying to you, which was a little bit mm-hmm. weird. I think like, I guess counselors are supposed to be good at reading people. So maybe that made sense. But it just felt kind of like shoehorned in there that she was like, she he's lying to you. Now you have this plot thread to go figure out why is he lying and what's he lying about? <laughs> Not going to lie. As a teacher, I've probably said very similar things <laughs> to parents before. Like th- this kid says he wants this. He doesn't like you got to get serious. Fair uh, sometimes a little bit of tough love is <laughs> is what gets through. But um, yeah, so th- then we kind of get back into into Gwen and, and seeing Gwen come visit Peter uh, there's that pretty great rooftop party scene for um, uh, Jeff's promotion, right? Oh, I shouldn't call him Jeff. Right, he doesn't yeah, like no, that, right? no first names. <laughs> That'd be uh, uh, Captain Davis, right? Uh, so we we learn that he's being promoted. Turns out that's not actually a good thing. Yeah, well, and, and we'll get to that in a bit. But we actually skipped uh, seeing part of Gwen, and this is kind of a pivotal part of the movie, where Gwen, we learned that she was really good friends with Peter Parker, at this in her universe, mm. they were friends. They they weren't a couple, but they were very close friends. And Peter, instead of becoming Spider Man, essentially becomes the Lizard because he's feeling rejected and and he he doesn't get bit by the spider. Gwen does so. Another good variation on a classic right, villain. Yeah, absolutely. And and she ends up fighting him. He ends up dying. And then as she's doing the Spider-Man thing and like crouching over his dead body and sobbing and <laughs> the Spider-Man right, thing. Uh, her dad, who is of course a police captain, Captain Stacy. That's like one of the common threads across all the Spider-Men. There is a Captain Stacy or a captain of some kind who's really close to the Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, sees her in her Spider-Gwen outfit, of course, hunched over his body and assumes that she killed Peter. And so then there's this whole manhunt for her that goes on for a little while. Long story short, there there ends up being a character who is a version of the vulture, which comes from a very weird dimension. Oh, um, oh yeah. That finds his way into Gwen's dimension as an anomaly, which gets Gwen to basically introduces Gwen to Miguel O'Hara, who is from a comics perspective, Spider-Man 2099. In this movie, they don't actually call him that, but he is kind of running the Spider-Man society of like interdimensional travel for all the Spider-Men. This kicks off, I think like a lot of the rest of the movie and, and enables Gwen to go, you know, meet miles or see him again. And, mm-hmm. um, I like, I really do like when she has to try to clean up the spot. Right. Uh, yeah. They recognize that spot is an anomaly because when he can't control it, he starts, but learns that he can kind of use his spots to move dimensions. He starts checking out different places and uh, <laughs> he actually bumps into some really interesting ones. Um, there's one from Venom, the 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 store lady from the movie Venom. Uh, right, there's right. a Lego uh, world that he jumps into, which is pretty cool. We'll get into more of some of the, the the Easter eggs and fun facts about all that stuff later. But yeah, they they basically come to find out that they recognize he's an anomaly, and Gwen is kind of tasked to go stop him. I really appreciate that she like Gwen recognized. She's like, dude, you're made of paper. <laughs> to the vulture like she can she can clearly tell that he was uh not from her dimension i thought that was cool like very self-aware i'm looking forward to the scenes with vulture um being on digital so i can go back and just i want to look at that that vulture animation frame by frame because so, that was pretty early on in the film the moment i saw that i went oh yeah 
this movie, they know what they're doing. They've gone off the wall with this. Uh, the way that equations would show yeah. up like kind of around Vulture as he was planning like a move or like about to launch a bomb or uh, that like beak laser. Yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. Yeah, really, really cool. Uh, and also how they kind of play with the fact that he was also pretty confused as to why he was there. He was like, yeah, I pretty much was just having a cappuccino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The jokes were great. I mean, the humor <laughs> in this film is really, really good. Yeah. So anyway, now that, again, Gwen comes back, uh, Miles, they're hanging out. I like their, their rooftop so scenes. So good. Um, they're hanging upside down for yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, the upside oh, down so one. so good. Yeah, a very good attention to detail having, like, Gwen pull herself upwards to sit down. Yep. <laughs> that was a nice touch. She couldn't have just sat pulling upward without some ridiculous calf muscles. So um, I thought that whole thing was good. And how we've established maybe a slight romance between the two of them where she does fully admit, like, in other universes, this has happened before and it tends not to work out. So uh, but then again, as we now know, Miles is a bit of an anomaly himself. So maybe nothing like this has happened before. Yeah, I also really appreciate, and I haven't looked into enough like interviews and such, so I don't know if this was something that was intentional, but given how intentional the rest of the movie is, I'm going to assume this was an intentional thing. The fact that that whole conversation happens upside down and like you see the whole mm. city flipped upside down, but it's filmed like, or filmed, shot, you know, the shots themselves are, angled such that to the viewer uh, spider, you know, Gwen and, and miles are right side up mm. was a really interesting kind of dichotomy to like the way that their world is so different from reality and like the things that they Good experience are, are, is so disconnected from like what people expect of them. Yeah. I really appreciated that, that that scene happened that way. I think if they just had sat down on that mm. rooftop, even though the visuals were great, it would have been way less emotionally charged. So after their uh, scene there, and the, particularly the rooftop scene with um, Miles's mom, that was uh, another kind of big, uh, I guess a big pin that, that we've put in, uh, where she says, you know, you're going to go places, they're not going to love you or accept you like we do, and that's why she's afraid of what comes next. Turns out, she, <laughs> she, she had a lot better idea what was about to happen than Miles did, uh, because... Well, in a little bit, he gets the Spider HQ and that exact same thing happens. But first we go to Mumbatan and oh man, that was a, that was a treat. I loved the entire sequence of that. Yeah. Well, and, and I really loved it as well as a viewer. So I had a pretty bad experience in the, in the theater watching this movie. There are a lot of people being really distracting. So I'm, I'm excited oh, yeah. to rewatch it in the comfort of my home. But I watched the movie in, in Jersey City, which has a very large Indian mm. population. And so there were a lot of Indians watching the film. And so just to have that like on the big screen and like people just excited and clapping and stuff was just really cool to kind of experience. That's, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. It was a uh, Pavitar Prabhakar, yeah. I think uh, a nice little play on Peter right. Parker. Uh, he was honestly maybe the funniest Spider-Man in the film. Um, maybe the most like, I guess like classic Spider-Man japes style with the whole bit about chai tea right. oh, <laughs> being kind that. of like repetitive. Uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't eat, pray, love me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like you came to India to, to what discover yourself or some garbage like that. That was all awesome. A very self-aware, uh, very thoughtful humor. Also a nice mirror of Miles's joke earlier. That why do they call it right. an ATM machine when M stands for the machine? Just, uh, Really well-crafted comedy in this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also Spot saying that he loves non-bread. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> just continuing to to tick off everyone. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. So then we get to Spider Society after all that goes wrong, right? Um, th- there's a pretty big moment where uh, Miles saves someone that he wasn't supposed to. Uh, he, he rescues um, uh, Captain Singh, a captain who, for uh, Pavita, was supposed to die. This was supposed to be the captain who he's close to. In this case, his kind of girlfriend's father. Uh, this was supposed to be a what we call a cannon event, apparently. So that... Um, yeah, that, that kind of disrupted the multiverse, supposedly. It opens up this big black hole or whatever after saving the day. And then uh, the whole spider society comes to try to clean up the mess. And then we get catapulted right into Spider HQ from there where we, uh, uh, we kind of get some, just an influx of spider oh, yeah, people. There are, I think uh, I saw somewhere there were over 100 credited speaking parts for Spider-Man in that film. And there wow. are way more than that that don't speak. <laughs> so oh, yeah yeah does the horse count as i speaking? don't know i would have to like see a breakdown <laughs> of that there is a horse i love that they're like again the movie's just so self-aware like you know the horse shows up and miles is like why is the horse wearing a mask <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's not even the spider-man and there are just so many cool ones that they show up obviously like what was it uh i think it's peter parked car <laughs> it's so stupid but uh, at the same time like so so aware of itself all all of this again this is in direct contrast to i don't know this is done out of love i think i think you can tell this was done by people that care about this stuff they recognize that it's goofy and they lean into it because you can't present this with a self-serious tone which is one problem that i think dc has struggled with for a very long time uh, outside of like the strict Batman movies, like the Nolan franchise, the more recent DC movies, they've tried to have this edge of, of coolness to them and it just doesn't work. But this leaning into the camp, they, they had a, a spider horse, a spider cat, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> like T-Rex. this is, this is and how you The funny do thing it. is all yeah, of these are actually T-Rex. like they come from the comics. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they pay homage, right. you know? And then this kind of leads into the spider intervention, right? Where they tell Miles, well, yeah, you kind of screwed up in every Spider-Man's origin slash life. There's these certain canon events that have to happen. And I think referencing the canon in a similar way to referencing Hammer Space or these other things, it's pretty funny. It's pretty self-aware. I don't think they overdo it. And I can easily see a franchise overdoing it in that aspect, right? Kind of like leaning to it a little too hard. Uh, again, the ramifications of Rick and Morty are widespread. Uh, but in this case, we find out, oh, you actually weren't supposed to save that guy. He had to die because that's what happens in everyone's universe. Uh, supposedly, I mean, this had happened before and it didn't end well. Right, yeah. Miguel even goes into showing, like telling us that he knows it doesn't go well because he's the one who did it in a different uni- uh, universe that the that universe's version of him dies and he replaces him he pulled a kingpin yeah exactly actually yeah it, uh, i didn't even catch that while i was watching the film that's that is exactly yeah. what yeah what kingpin tried to do so yeah he uh he like takes control or takes over this guy's life even though he died and then the whole universe falls apart and everything that he come came to love about that that universe uh disappears and so then he kind of devotes his life to preventing that from happening across the the multiverse but at the same time He's clearly untrustworthy. You know, the movie sets this guy up to be a bit of a jerk. And is he a little too zealous in some aspects? Yeah. Um, 
But at the same time, like he is a Spider-Man. Right. But I think he's lying about something about this origin, something that that we're probably not going to get any idea until the next movie. Yeah, it does feel like he's hiding something. And there's a level. So, you know, he he basically explains to Miles that these events happen. He shows them he shows, well, Miles and Gwen and a handful of others, these scenes of this canon event happening, you know, Captain Stacy dying. We even get some scenes from live action films, which is pretty cool. Right. Um, showcasing all these different Spider-Men having these canon events happening to them, which are essentially the, you know, the, the uncle Ben dying or the Gwen, Captain Stacy dying, or those, those pivotal moments that wake Spider-Man up or wake Parker up and, and tell him like, Oh, there is something more serious to this. And, mm-hmm. um, I need to protect people that sort of event. Basically they tell, they tell miles that like, this is going to happen to you. And we thought it was uncle Aaron, but then we come to find out that it's not only uncle Aaron, it's also going to be his, his father who is getting promoted to captain, which we already saw sort of the, the party to celebrate that the reveal of that happening. And so miles is like, all right, well then like we got to go save him and we'll figure out how to save the multiverse in, at the same time. Like we can do both. We're Spider-Man and mm-hmm. Miguel doesn't want to hear it. So he tr- tries to trap him they end up in this really crazy chase, which is, which is fun. I mean, it's wild. It goes all over, um, kind of the, the spider HQ universe, uh, in a way, but Miguel gets really aggressive. Like he gets really angry, <laughs> really fast. He's going for the kill for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. I was just like, kind of surprised that they're like a switch flipped like that. So I agree with you. It does feel like he's hiding something or that something is, is missing that we didn't get info on about him. Miles does eventually get away. And I love the way they set up, him using that power because he he's mm. he earlier in this in the film tells Gwen he's been working on some new stuff but then we don't see what it is and then there's a point where they're trying to stop spot in Mumbatton where he goes to do it again and it doesn't he actually tries to show us what he's been working on but it doesn't really work the way he wants it to <laughs> Hobie just comes in yeah. and crushes it got a shout out spider punk right uh i hate the am i hate the pm is maybe the funniest line of the whole franchise (laughs) (laughs) yeah hobie has some really good lines but yeah and then we get to see we get to see miles kind of use that power to basically steal energy from miguel's suit and then use that to get away that's also kind of when we learn that miles is basically an accident and yeah it makes a lot of sense not something i really considered in the first movie, but basically, right. We learned that the spider and we, this was dropped earlier in the film spot mentions this and then they kind of come back to it. So it was nice little way to get us kind of from a storytelling perspective. It was nice to kind of familiarize the audience with this thing that later is actually super relevant, um, which Mm -hmm. is a really common storytelling trope, but we find right. Basically we, we, we understand that the spider that bit miles wasn't just like a mutant spider that Alchemex was working on but was one that they pulled in from a different dimension from earth 42. And so really that spider never belonged in miles's universe. Therefore it never should have bit him. And Miguel goes through this whole thing, telling him like, if, if that spider never bit you, you never would have been there to distract your universe's Peter Parker. He never would have died. You never would have become a Spider-Man. None of this stuff would have happened. And Mm -hmm. he kind of has to wrestle with that. But then we heavy stuff, you know, right. And, and then he, but in the meantime, he tries to escape, the spider HQ, they have this device called the go home machine, which is this really weird spider ish looking thing. It kind of looks like (laughs) like um, those, those creatures. And I can't remember what they're called, but the, from 
from the Mandalorian when they get trapped on the on the snow planet and there's like there's like crazy spiders come out. It kind of looks like that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But basically, Miles tries to go home and it scans him, finds this the spider DNA in him and recognizes which universe to send him back to. So he goes home and then kind of his recompense for her screwing up, Miguel forces Gwen back home. She mm-hmm. finds a way to get back to Miles's universe. And then we learn something pretty interesting. Yeah, the way this is set up is fantastic. So we know that that Gwen makes it back because she has this new transmitter device built by Hobie. Thanks, Hobie. Uh <laughs> Also, that's a funny sequence when you see him like ripping sockets off the wall in the yep. in the HQ and he's like clearly taking the stuff he's going to need for it. So we see this this really elegant sequence where it appears that Gwen is listening outside of Miles's home and he, it appears that she's listening in on a conversation between him and his mom uh, where he's about to tell her that he's Spider-Man. And then, of course, you see uh, Miguel and, and others um, kind of prowling around outside trying to find him. Uh, trying to stop him of course but then there's a bit of a twist right we find out that miles didn't actually go back to his home universe he's actually wound up in the home universe of the spider that bit him and gave him the powers earth 42 which as i found out by rewatching the first one there's references to 42 all, all over. over the place in fact one of the uh the times remember when he's like learning his powers and he falls down that building he smacks into a sign and uh some some um I guess like letters fall off the building. The letters 42 fall right around him. Oh, wow. So this has been hinted at for a while, even in the first movie. Fantastic. Uh, We find out that he's actually wound up in the universe where uh, the spider came from. In a universe where, because it was his spider that got to him, there is no Spider-Man. So his big reveal to his mom kind of falls flat. uh, And then Gwen ends up being revealed that she's not listening to that, but instead listening to a conversation between Miles' parents kind of about her uh, and that kind of leads to something else but where it really goes off the wall is when uncle aaron walks in and we really understand oh something in this universe is very different uh we find out that it was actually miles's dad that had died uncle aaron is still alive and in this universe as is fantastically revealed it's not uncle aaron who's the prowler but it's this universe's miles implying that our miles was probably supposed to become the Prowler and that this Miles that we now meet uh, was supposed to become Miles as Spider-Man. Yeah. A lot to wrestle with. I mean, that's, you know? I didn't, I didn't really think about it from that perspective because in the world that our Miles comes from, there is a Peter Parker, there is a Spider-Man. So like the crime mm. and like the city itself is very different than the one we see in Earth 42. So mm-hmm. I, I would like, I wonder if even, I guess um, Uncle Aaron was already the Prowler as well. So maybe there's a there's a chance that like Uncle Aaron or uh, Miles's dad dies and then Miles takes up the mantle of the Prowler. But I've got something for you. It's actually set up in the first movie. Is it? Uh, do you remember when he first meets uh, a good Spider-Man, Peter Parker? Yeah. Uh, in the Collider, there's that moment where they kind of have their spider sense. They both realize that they're alike. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man, when you're facing him, his is red and blue all around him. Yeah, Miles. Uh, is Miles. Purple. It's purple and green, yeah. the Prowler colors. But then as they both kind of like look at each other, his shifts from being purple and green to red and blue to match right. Peter Parker's. So in that moment, his destiny was altered. He's no longer going to become the Prowler. He's now going to become Miles as Spider-Man. But it looks like in that moment, probably in the other universe, other Miles' destiny changed too. 
now he's doomed to become the prowler. So now we've got two miles in the same universe. Uh, one, the Spider-Man that should have become the prowler, one, the prowler that should have become the Spider-Man. How on earth do you resolve that? Yeah, well, they, they don't really, they really don't. Um, Gwen kind of goes and tries to get Peter B. Parker, the one who was Miles's mentor in the first film, um, to try to save Miles, kind of figure out, she, she figures out, obviously, you know, something went, went really wrong with Miles coming home and, uh, sets out to save him. There's an interesting dialogue between the two Mileses where, mm-hmm. you know, earth 42 miles is, tr- is, uh, reveals that he's, he's the prowler. There's this weird length of time where like earth 42 miles has his fist up against the punching bag that they've tied our miles to, which is also kind of an homage to the first movie. Um, mm-hmm. which I really appreciated. There, there's, he's like holding it there for a really awkwardly long amount of time though. And I was like, I don't understand what the significance of him doing that is, but I just yeah, saw this intimidation, it, you know, maybe. like fist up against your head, giant mech gauntlet up against your head. Fair enough. Yeah. That could have been the case. Um, and they, they kind of go back and forth where our miles is like, Hey, if I don't get back, our dad's my dad, like, I think he says our dad's going to die. And, mm. and earth 42 miles is essentially like, no, that's your dad. My dad's dead. And I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, mine died. Why do you deserve to have yours kind of mentality? And um, yeah, it's pretty emotionally charged. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have masterfully set up all these spinning plates and I'm reminded of everything ever all at once. A movie with similar overall story structure, uh, relatively similar, you know, um, and similar high universe stakes. And they managed to just barely stick the landing with their spinning plates we don't get to see that. And uh, honestly, during the theater experience, I was thinking to myself, like, do they have time? At one I point, Gwen is thing. like, I'm going to assemble. Gwen's like, I'm going to assemble my own band. You know, uh, I've never found the right one to become part of. Time to get my own. I thought that was a nice callback. Uh, and I, I, I was thinking, like, hasn't it been almost two hours? Does she have time to put the band together right. and us to have a third act? And no, we don't get the third act because then to the anger of many, it just stops. Yeah. Uh, so how did you feel about that cliffhanger? Um, yeah. So what Ben's referencing is that like we get to this, there's so much going on. There's all this emotion kind of built up. Gwen starts trying to put this team together and then the, the screen just goes black and it, we get like a comic sort of um, text box that says to be continued and that's it. Credits roll movies over on the one hand, I was disappointed because even though I knew but beyond the spider verse already got greenlit, I didn't realize the stories were that closely tied. So I wasn't expecting mm. the like main story of the film to not be wrapped up, but I do actually thinking about it now in the moment, I didn't think about this and actually the days leading up to us recording since I've seen the film, I didn't think about this, but thinking about it now, I actually like it a lot. Um, it also kind of is an homage to comics. Like comics do that all the time where like you're just in the middle That's of some true. big action and then there's just a, to be continued and you've got to wait till next week's issue comes out. So I do kind mm. of like that. I mean, obviously we have to wait a year, not a week. Um, but <laughs> I, I do kind of like it. The, one of the biggest complaints I had was that this, this movie ran a very tight line between having too many villains because they set mm. Spot up as a villain, as the main villain, and then all of a sudden Miguel is a, is a villain, and all the Spider-Men 
are kind of against Miles. And it just felt like, okay, where are we going with this? Like, I didn't quite understand what the plan was. And then at the very end, like Spot shows back up and it's like, oh yeah, we've got to deal with this guy. Mm-hmm. They, I feel like the, the, the Miguel O'Hara kind of story arc pulled away from the importance of like spot, like gaining all these powers. But then that kind of sets it up so that hopefully the, the next film is really all about spot and like how they, they figure out mm-hmm. how to defeat him. I was hoping they were going to resolve the Spider-Man conflict in this movie though. And they didn't do that. So it, yeah. it feels to me like there's going to be like, they need to do a lot to mend that because they didn't even come close to mending it here. Mm-hmm. If they're going to, I imagine it's going to take all the Spider-Man to defeat spot because he's super powerful now. Yeah. So if they're going to mend it, I feel like it's going to take quite a while. And then that, that makes me question like, what's the plot of the third movie where like how much of it is devoted to them mending that, that relationship or those relationships. And then how much is actually about defeating spot? I, I think it's going to put it in an interesting perspective, but the writers have been phenomenal so far. So I, I'm optimistic that they're going to do a good job with it, but that did kind of bother me that, that they split the, the story mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. I mean, it, this is a treat in my opinion. Like how often do you not know what's going to happen for the resolution of a film of this size and scale with, you know, characters that are based on existing content? Yeah, it did kind of have um, Infinity War vibes. Like at the end of Infinity War, when everybody dies, spoilers, mm. uh, <laughs> you you kind of get this like, I remember a hush coming over. And yes, it was in a movie theater, so everybody was already pretty quiet. But I remember like you could feel like it was palpable, the emotion in the theater. Who's and going you knew next? those people were coming back. Like, yeah, you did like, but, but it still was like, oh, they did that and they ended it there. Uh huh. And you kind of get that here. There, there is a, a bit of like, unre- there's this unresolved tension and you're just like, wait, how are they going to get him out of this? Cause again, mm-hmm. it's not a huge leap, but like they don't actually know which universe he ended up in. So, you know, you can, you have to start to make guesses like how is Gwen going to figure out how to find him? And like, is she going to make it to him in time? Cause earth 42 miles very clearly seems to want our miles dead or seriously injured at, at the very least. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Like, who knows what this guy's motivations are? Uh, I mean, maybe he finds out that he was supposed to be Spider-Man and has a total role reversal, a total change of fate. Uh, Honestly, I have have zero idea what the end of the next movie is going to look like. I mean, how do you resolve a character that can teleport between realities at will and teleport other things? It's as OP as you can get. that being said, as far as villains go, I kind of liked that they had a superhero who starts as a hero and we see ends up being a jerk. And then we have a villain who starts as a goofball and ends up being a multiverse level threat. And it's kind of a dynamicness to villains that you often don't see. Uh, how often do villains have arcs, right? Well, that's yeah, been a, a problem with, that. with uh, especially with the Marvel series, like they've done a pretty poor job overall of creating good mm-hmm. villains. There have been a few films here and there where the, the villains were kind of applauded and it was like, wow, you did a good job with their story. But if you look over yeah. the span of the whole, like what 30 movies or whatever it is that the villains are all pretty flat. Like there's not a whole, if you ask me to name there. the villains from like some of the Thor movies or some of the guardians movies, like I don't care, but spot the visuals alone cement this guy as you know, a permanent icon in animated movie history. Like uh, this is, this is a, a pretty significant villain to have. Uh, and, and seeing their arcs, seeing how the villains changed. Also, 
I don't know if either of them are entirely irredeemable. Spot's looking pretty irredeemable at this point. He's looking kind of just like they're going to lean into him just being, oh, yeah, the, the pure anti-Spider-Man. Just total nihilist, no care for anyone, not even really himself. Um, maybe a little bit of goofball in there, but he's gotten more serious, the more powerful he's gotten, too. And then Miguel, who, I, I mean, he's a Spider-Man, right? Like, there's got to be some good in him. And there's that quote from Gwen, like we're supposed to be the good guys. Right. Yeah. And you're telling miles not to save his dad from dying. Like, doesn't this go against what it means to be Spider-Man? So I think there's, there's more left to, to Miguel. I don't know where it's going to go with him. Yeah. It's also interesting too, because he made a claim like his, he, his character, at least to us. And again, maybe there's something missing here that we don't, he hasn't told us or he's lying about something, but the way he explained breaking canon events Mm. did make it sound like it was an isolated thing. Like that universe will disappear. And if it happens to enough of them, then like, sure, all the Spider-Men are gone. But it didn't sound like there was like a domino effect where if one disappeared, the rest started to as well. So Mm. I'm kind of like curious, why does he care so much? And maybe that's part of him being a Spider-Man. Like, why does he care so much? about miles going back to his own universe and trying to save his dad. And then like, sure, maybe it wipes everybody out, but at least he tried. Yeah. Maybe there is some kind of domino effect. Who knows? Anyway, uh, I wanted to, now that we've kind of wrapped up the story, make a a couple notes on, you know, certain aspects of the film. First of all, the big comparison is to the original. I think overall uh, our thoughts in the beginning kind of summarize this from the spoiler free section, but I don't feel as though any part of this movie quite touched the, the, the highest high point of the first one, which is the what's up danger scene, the leap of faith. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, true. And that's that, that scene is electric. You know, it is uh, pure magic. Everything from talking to his dad behind the door to um, figuring out his powers. All that is pure gold. Uh, I don't feel as though anything in this movie quite touched that, that level of greatness. There's definitely things that come close, right? Uh, the chase on the, the, the moon bridge or whatever that thing was, the moon elevator yeah. <laughs> that that has some similar aspects, right? The nah, I'm gonna do my own thing. Awesome. Love it. Uh, I don't think it quite had the same gravity to it, yeah. uh, mostly because they were getting pretty high up. And by that point, you know, it's an inverse square relationship. Oh, so, <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, because interestingly enough, the, the scene that came to mind for me that had the closest parallel to what's up danger scene was actually the scene between Gwen and her dad. Because when, and we didn't kind of talk about this in the story, but when Gwen uh, eventually is able to help defeat uh, the Vulture and Miguel and them are like getting ready to leave, um, she's pretty injured and starts to stumble away. And her dad shows up and basically puts her under arrest. She reveals that she's his his, uh, daughter and he still Mm -hmm. tries to arrest her. Yeah. And then she, so then she leaves with Miguel and is like, well, you know, dad doesn't love me or whatever. And and I'm going to go do my thing. But then she comes back later in the scene in the movie. uh, And that's when she gets the, the, the interdimensional watch from Hobie. But they have a really interesting scene there. And you talked about Mm -hmm. this earlier in the film and, and we didn't do this with the story section, but the visuals in that scene change dramatically from the start of it to the end. And there's a lot there from just like the emotions of the characters, the the story kind of wrapping up and them repairing their relationship. 
um, her going off to do her thing to try to save her friend. And then again, the visuals that they use in that scene to kind of encapsulate all the different emotions that are, that are kind of captured Mm -hmm. there is a lot. That was the closest scene to me that, that got to the, like the what's up danger scene. That's true. Yeah. um, I think there's been a lot of kind of copycats of the spider verse style. Um, other, some good movies, the Puss in Boots movie, uh, it had some, some similar aspects to it, but, uh, stylistically it, it borrowed from this a bit. The new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I don't know if you saw the trailer before yours too. It certainly is borrowing some stylistic elements and who knows, maybe there are animators that have worked on all these projects. Good for them. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I'm worried that maybe, you know, corporations might learn the wrong lesson from this, right? They might learn, oh, this is the style that the kids like now. This is the style that sends people to theaters that puts cash in our pockets, right? When in reality, it's the way it's used. And I don't think the movie would have had the same weight. And I don't think Gwen's arc would have had the same weight if that had just been shot in a room, you know, like shot reverse shot, like any old Marvel movie would have been. Uh, But that, that level of care and detail in the backgrounds and just the creative control that was given to the artists in that. Um, just fantastic. Absolutely. I know coming into this film, you were, shall we say, optimistically excited or optimistically reserved about the music. What did you mm. think uh, coming out of it? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on, on what you thought about the music. Yeah, I actually listened to the full soundtrack straight through. I listened to the original Spider-Verse soundtrack straight through a couple days but prior just to you know get back in the mood. Uh, I think the original does have more bangers. It's better, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think the original has more bangers. Uh, just It's pretty evident. Like, there isn't a song in that film that stuck in my head the way Sunflowers did in the first one. Like, mm. I still think of that as the Into the Spider-Verse song. There isn't one from Across the Spider-Verse that I, that I can say is a corollary. Yeah, uh, What's Up Danger is also incredibly yeah. good. Elevate <laughs> is, is good, too. Start a Riot. Uh, these ones, they all can pop into my head instantly. Whereas, uh, I don't know, Metro Boomin did a good job on, on this one and, and all the collaborators as well. Uh, I like Annihilate. I like Am I Dreaming a good amount, but past that, um, none of them quite go as hard. Hummingbird might be the closest to something like uh, Sunflower, but no, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the original did surpass it. Now this is for the, you know, kind of like the hip hop elements. The score elements, uh, there's some pretty great ones in, yeah. in this as well. Particularly, I, I really like the intro song, the one with Gwen while drumming. Yeah, uh, that one's that fantastic good. if you listen to it by itself. And as a pretty big fan of uh, of the musical motifs that were used in the first one, there's an excellent video essay on YouTube. It's like 10 minutes. It's by Sideways uh, called The Sound of the Spider-Verse. And if you're a fan of this movie at all, this is a must watch Uh, because if you didn't know the musical motifs that are underlying this whole thing, it adds an entirely new dimension to the the stories and the characters and the way the different motifs representing both Miles's journey and the motif of Spider-Man themselves, like the way that it's used in this film as well. uh, It's fascinating and it shows some really, really thoughtful musical direction. Yeah, we'll link uh, that that video essay in the, the show notes and the description. Now, we should probably mention, were there any other large-scale complaints we had? Any uh, any downsides, any negatives to this one? No, my, my two big ones were the audio and then like the split between the villain sort of thing from a story perspective. But I'm going to hold off on calling that latter one a big complaint until we see how things wrap up with Beyond the Spider-Verse because 
um, if they wrap it up nicely, then I'll think it, it actually made a lot of sense. And if they don't, then I'm going to be disappointed. So by a standalone film, I was a little disappointed that they split it the way they did, but I think overall, given how many like Spider-Man there are and how many characters in general there are in the film, like they did a pretty solid job with making it followable and, and it all made sense and all that. So the the plot and the story was still fantastic. Yeah, it's not often I get caught off guard by a cliffhanger ending like that. Yeah. I'm very glad I didn't know there was another one coming out until then because my, my jaw was on the ground. Like, I got to wait for this. Uh, yeah, my only other really big criticism is that I can't really talk about this as a movie yet. I mean, it's missing an act, right? And now I'm wondering, how is the next one going to be structured? Is it going to, I mean, we're going to jump in right on act three and it's going to be an hour long of nonstop uh, resolutions or is it going to establish some new arcs? I mean, Gwen's has been wrapped up with her father, but I mean, we're also getting a whole bunch of characters back. I'm excited to to have Peter Porker back in the mix, Spider-Man Noir. Hopefully we get uh, John Mulaney and, and Nick Cage back because they're obviously hilarious. So, uh, I realized I started this as a criticism and ended by talking about how excited I am for the next one. So <laughs> I guess I'm out of complaints. All right, let's run through. There are a bunch of fun facts and Easter eggs in this movie. We probably aren't going to cover all of them, but let's just run through some of our favorites. One that I found out actually after watching the movie is kind of interesting. And I did notice this and a lot of people online were like, who's going to even see that? That doesn't make any sense. I actually saw it and noticed it and made a like a mental note about this. But this movie was banned in the UAE, like basically all of the Middle East, because apparently it didn't pass censorship laws. A lot of people are speculating that's because it, it, the early, like one of the first scenes in the movie, Gwen has a poster above her door that says protect trans kids. And oh, man, not, it's not, not an okay thought in the UAE, I suppose. So far as we know, Yikes. Sony hasn't like censored it to allow the movie to be shown in those areas. It, they just are like, well, that is what it is, which is kind of cool. Most corpse I think would probably just be like, nah, we're going to censor that. Let's make our money. Um Yeah. Disney's done that all the time. Right. But it it is actually like it's in one scene very briefly. It's not like very prominent. So a lot of people were like, are you Mm. kidding me? Like it's, it's hardly even noticeable, but um, Mm. yeah, I I just found that interesting. Yeah. I never knew that. Uh, Here's another little animation tidbit. Many of us probably know that in the first movie uh, for a while, miles is animated as they say on the twos on the ones would refer to every frame is a new image for a certain spider person, which the experienced ones like uh, Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker, uh, these guys are all animated, you know, at smooth flowing frame rate where while, while Miles was still learning, he was animated on the twos. So his frame would be held for two frames, giving him almost a choppier look. Uh, Hobie is what was designed to be even more visually distinct, something punk rock, almost out of like a zine, uh, kind of like Brit punk style, uh, again, kind of newspapery. So, uh, to make Hobie really distinct, apparently Hobie was animated on threes, which I honestly, that the, uh, the animating challenge behind all this to animate someone at, at such a way, I don't know if there's any animators listening, please give us a nice breakdown in discord because we, we could, uh, we could use it. Yeah, we did get also Donald Glover was, uh, made a, made a live action appearance in the, in the movie as the prowler. So he kind of confirmed, we don't actually know which universe he came from, but we know that he plays in the, in the universe where Tom Holland plays Spider-Man. He does play Aaron Davis, who is uncle Aaron. And he talks about having a nephew living in the city. So, it feels as though they're confirming Donald Glover as the Prowler. Mm-hmm. 
we don't technically have that confirmation, but uh, yeah, I think they did that. J.K. Simmons had a bunch of kind of pop-ups, like his voice was all over this movie. <laughs> no, yeah. You probably know that a section of this was in Lego. Uh, apparently, there had been a, a kid, a 14-year-old named uh, Preston, who had made like a fan animation of the original trailer and put it on YouTube. And uh, Lord and Miller, they saw the animation and were like, this is awesome. Can we have this kid work on the movie? So supposedly during this kid's spring break a couple months ago, they they had him actually animate the whole Lego segment of the movie. And that was what was used in the final cut. And apparently oh, wow. he uh, when they asked, he said, um, yeah, yeah, I can do it, but I have to work on my homework first. Is that OK? <laughs> <laughs> what a good kid. Yeah. How awesome is that? That's so wholesome. I love it. Um, we also got a bunch of references to other films and games. There was a, a, a sequence where Insomniac Spider-Man, the one from the Sony video games, um, mm. actually there are two references to him. There's one where Miles is leaving to go fight Spot for the second time after his parent meeting, where his roommate is playing that game. Oh, that's funny. I didn't even notice yeah, that. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. And then um, we also see Insomniac Spider-Man labeled and named in sort of this hall that Miguel has where they've captured a bunch of like anomalies. Um, mm. So he's there as well. Um, we also get a bunch of references to Tom Holland's earth 1999. Um, early in the film, Miguel explicitly says, don't even get me started on that stuff that Dr. Strange and that little nerd are over <laughs> on earth 1999 are doing. Um, also miles roommate yells at him saying, I'm not your guy in the chair, which is like a, a a callback to, you know, the, those Spider-Man movies as well. We also get a bunch of references to Gwen Stacy's death scenes. I mean, in the canon event stuff, we see some of those. Um, she explicit like Gwen, Spider-Gwen exp- explicitly mentions that like that whole, we talked about this earlier where like Spider-Man and Gwen uh, get together and, and it doesn't end too well, referencing, you know, her death. Um, and then of course the Captain Stacy death, we see, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, we see s- actual scenes from, the amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield and the OG Sam Raimi um, Spider-Man uh, scenes where uh, we had Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man as well. Really cool to kind of see those tie in and have like live action sort of stuff in the middle of this animated film. I thought that was really cool. And one little fun bit here, uh, everything ever all at once, another fantastic multiverse traipsing movie. The fact that spot is the guy hitting the head with a bagel bagels, of course, being a huge symbol from everything ever all at once. And spot notably also kind of devolves into a, well, spot the whole the similar theme to that of, of everything everywhere. Uh, the whole inside of him is he even explicitly references. But there's actually a, a billboard in the background of one of the scenes uh, with a giant bagel on it that says all of it always all over the place. Very, very clear nod to everything everywhere. Uh, any predictions for the next movie? Not really. I mean, it's called Beyond the Spider-Verse. So I'm really curious what that what that means. Like, into the Spider-Verse, the first one made sense. We're getting dropped into the whole thing. The characters literally get dropped into a, a new universe and they learn about it for the first time. Across the Spider-Verse, clearly we've gone over a bunch of different dimensions. I don't really know what beyond the Spider-Verse means. Do they mm-hmm. somehow transcend this, this multiverse thing and we now have like one massive universe or uh, can they just travel back and forth however they want? I, I don't know. Um very curious to see how they wrap it up, but I, I really don't have any predictions. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I have one. The only way that you can really deal with a multiversal threat of this magnitude, uh, I'm predicting an Avatar style ending. I'm predicting that Miles is going to be the one that ends up with the ultimate multiverse portal power in the end. I don't know how. Mm. I don't know through what method it's going to happen. 
But uh, I, I see this is like the end of his arc, like uh, knowing who he is and then finally being able to do what he wants in any way and, and, you know, express himself. Maybe slap stickers all over the multiverse at free will. I could also see a situation where he has to sacrifice himself because that kind of brings the mm. whole you weren't supposed to happen in the first place thing like full circle. They're not going to do that. Though. I doubt Come they'll on. do that, but like I could <laughs> see it and I kind of would be there for it. That'd be pretty cool. But then like, Man, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they can do some way like that. Miles, like maybe they can like reverse something where like his Peter Parker comes back to life and then the earth 42 miles becomes Spider-Man and like that whole universe gets fixed. I don't know. I could do some interesting stuff like that. Whoa. Hold on. Do you hear that? Whoa. Dude, that, did, How did, did we just verse jump? <laughs> what was that? I don't know. That was weird. We had like this whole I, thing I, planned I, to talk about Lord of the Rings and then like. That was strange. I don't know. Um, do we still have time to talk about Lord of the No, no. We, we got to wait until the next we're, episode. We're, we're running out of time here. Really, all the thing we have time for is to thank everyone because this is a this is an anniversary episode, and thanks for uh, for listening through this nonsense. This is a kind of fun idea we batted around for a while. I guess it's sort of like a belated April Fool's joke, but we've always said to each other that uh, this podcast is exactly what we want it to be. And let's be real, we like multiverse movies sometimes. So getting to talk about one of these, um, maybe a, a quick glimpse into an alternate dimension where we were uh, we were movie reviewers instead of uh, magic podcasters. Uh, now you know what that would be like. So uh, let us know in Discord your, your reaction to this. Um, and uh, let us know your, your pre-release lists too. Looking forward to see how those, uh, how those go for everyone. Thank you so much to patrons, Discord people that are always active in there, always hanging out with us. Uh, it's been hard to stay active in the, in the past couple of weeks towards the end of school. Zach's been traveling. Uh, but, you know, we're not going anywhere. This stuff's awesome. We love you all and uh, we really appreciate you. So uh, here's to another great year of, uh, of Draft Draft. You're four, right? We're going on year four. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. You are the reason that we do this show. So thank you so much. Be on the lookout. If you're not in the discord, do jump in there. We, we do try to put out a survey every year to see how we can make adjustments to the actual show. Not what you heard today, but uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> there'll be more of this kind of thing. We have heard requests in the past about us doing a movie podcast. So I don't know, no promises there, but we do put out the survey to try to get a, a feel and understanding for what, what's resonating with you as a listener, what you like, what you don't like. Um, and your feedback is, is directly funneled back into the show. So thank you. Thank you for that. Do be on the lookout for that. We'll put that in the episode description as well as in the discord and, and you'll see announcements about it there as well. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. All right, really quickly. Uh, if I open the one ring or you open the one ring, are we splitting it. How are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, I think we just split it. That's a fair with gentlemen's agreement. We'll split it. I think, uh, I think we can what's his name? Uh, Cassius Marsh or what's his name? Cassius. Yeah. Cassius. Cassius Marsh. He, uh, he upped his, his ante to 500 grand. So, oh dude, it's already past two mil. Oh, is it? <laughs> the last <laughs> oh, I saw it was yeah, at 500 grand. <laughs> oh no, it went up to one mil. And then, um, apparently there's a company out there offering two mil. So, uh, look, given the opportunity, maybe we can rope some, some of the, the aficionados in on this. It'd be hard to have people honor this, but we can at least do it for our friends. If you out there want to join in on our, our one ring pool, maybe we can start a, uh, start a, a specific discord channel for that. 